Welcome to the Retirement Oasis, a podcast that helps you enjoy, plan, and visualize a retirement lifestyle defined by you. Your hosts and fiduciary financial planners, Mel Bond and Steve Martin, are here to offer wisdom and encouragement along with financial and lifestyle ideas for your journey into the best season of life. And now at the helm today, your hosts, Mel Bond and Steve Martin. Thank you, Melissa, and welcome everyone to the Retirement Oasis. This is Mel, and I'm here with the other half of the retirement crew, Steve. Say hello, Steve. Hello, folks. All right. All right. In the prior episode, we talked about fundamentals of Social Security. And if that wasn't boring enough for you, we've got more Social Security today. Last time, we talked about the factors that went into calculating your Social Security benefit and what you might be able to expect from Social Security. Can you rely on Social Security? Is it going to be there? And how to read your statement that you get from SSA and some fundamental rules on benefits. So I encourage you really go back, listen to that episode. So without further ado, let's talk about the optimal claiming age for taking your Social Security retirement benefits. Steve? Absolutely. Looking forward to this uh, session today, Mel. But before we answer that question, let's look at some of the fundamental rules again. Again, we talked about it in the prior episode, but let's just highlight a couple of those key rules to lay the groundwork for this optimal claiming age decision. The, the time that you claim, the age that you claim at, obviously has an impact on, the, on your benefits. The earlier you claim, the lower your, your benefits, but the more paychecks you get, right? And the later you claim, well, the higher the benefits, but the less paycheck, right? So that's the trade-off, either lower amount, more paychecks, or less paychecks in higher amount. So that's ground rule number one. Ground rule number two is understanding, at least for married couples, how spousal benefits and survivor benefits work. So each spouse can take the higher of his or her own benefit, or 50% of the other spouse's primary insurance amount, the PIA, but we'll generally refer to it as the other spouse's base amount. Uh, you know, if you take it earlier or later, it could be impacted as well. And then the survivorship rule is that the surviving spouse can take the higher of his or her own benefit or 100% of the deceased spouse's benefit, right? So spousal benefits and survivor benefit rules impact this claiming decision. Before we move on, let's also mention that topic that we, that we hit on, I think, later in the podcast last time. Is Social Security going to be around? A lot of people are skeptical about that. And we expressed our view that we feel like, yes, your Social Security benefits are, are going to be there for you in retirement. Some changes are going to have to take place to the system eventually. The last time changes were made, it was the the younger generation or generations that were affected, those 45 and younger, and they had their benefits slightly adjusted or reduced. If you're, you know, getting close to retirement in your 50s, early 60s, I, I think it's good that we count on it, uh, those benefits being around for you. So with that kind of backdrop of, of what we covered last time, now let's turn to the question for today. When is the optimal time to claim Social Security benefits? 
Yeah, I'll just answer that briefly. I know there's a lot of details we're going to cover, but in short, my, my Cliff Notes version is that while we generally favor taking Social Security later rather than earlier, it's not as clear cut as I think a lot of advisors in, in some articles suggest. You know, some say everyone should take it later, and that's not true. It's really based on your individual circumstances. We use a, a couple of different ways to analyze that, whether break-even analysis or a cumulative benefits approach to determine the optimal claiming age. And we'll talk on that in just a bit, but there's complications behind it. And it applies differently to, to different folks. Adding to the complexity though, is whether or not you're single or married couple. And we'll talk more about that as well. So a lot goes into the, the decision, uh, but generally we favor taking it later, but it just depends. Before we get into that break-even analysis, I think we ought to acknowledge that there are times that you might want to take and make a decision that's different than this take it later yep. sort of rule of thumb. For example, you might need to live on Social Security at retirement. It might be, you know, almost 100 percent or or maybe it is all of the income that you're going to get in retirement. There can be reasons why you say, I, I have to have these benefits and that's fine. So another scenario would be that you are planning to continue to work well into your 60s. If you're working prior to your full retirement age and you start taking social security benefits, you know, your your benefits can be reduced if you make, if your income from work is over the threshold amount. And so it, it gets a little funny in, in this situation. It, it feels like a penalty. What Social Security does is says, oh, you made too much money from your job, so we're going to reduce the amount of Social Security benefits we're giving you. Uh, and then when you get to full retirement age, they say, hey, that money we pulled out of your Social Security benefits earlier, we're going to increase your benefit for a little while to make that up. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, those are two good reasons to kind of ignore the math and, and decide when to take Social Security. Some other factors that may cause you to kind of ignore the pure break-even and cumulative benefits approach is being able to take advantage of some tax minimization strategies. I won't go into detail on all of these. We've got other episodes to do that. But in general, if you can delay taking Social Security, you might be able to take advantage of some really good tax strategies. And one is Roth conversions. The idea is that, you know, the lower income you have, the more Roth conversions you can do. And as most of our listeners know, that some of Social Security is included in your income. So being able to do Roth conversions with lower income can be a significant benefit over the long term. Another tax strategy is trying to get advanced premium tax credits on your health insurance. You know, if you retire before age 65, you may have to rely on the ACA marketplace. And as the law stands now, if your income is below a certain threshold, you can get some pretty good subsidies to pay for your health insurance. So if you take Social Security early, that's included in your, uh, your income for these purposes, and that can prevent you from getting significant subsidies. Capital gains taxes, you might be able to minimize capital gains taxes and, and do some strategies around gain harvesting if you delayed Social Security. So those are some three very powerful tax minimization techniques, Mel, that you can uh, implement. And by delaying Social Security, it makes could make those strategies that much more effective. Okay, now let's 
let's start in at a higher level on this optimal claiming age decision that you have to make. And we'll talk, first of all, about these, some of the factors and basic trade-offs involved in that. The factors we just touched on may not apply to you. So you might be looking to determine what the optimal claiming age is for your situation based on the traditional approaches to analyzing your optimal claiming age. There are a variety of different calculations you can perform to analyze this optimal timing question. And we're gonna review those in a bit. But for now, let's lay the groundwork for the basic trade-offs by claiming earlier, claiming later, and we're gonna delve into the factors that go into that analysis. For now, we're gonna keep the discussion relatively simple by merely focusing on the claiming strategy for a single individual. It's important to understand the decision from this standpoint first, and then we can build on how the decision gets a little more complicated for married couples. As we discussed, your Social Security retirement benefit is based on your earnings history. And when you begin taking Social Security, your overall cumulative benefits will be based on that and two other factors your life expectancy, and the assumed rate of return. If we take your earnings history as a given and understand that your life expectancy and rate of return is somewhat uncertain, but somewhat predictable, then we can hone in on the question at hand, when to claim Social Security retirement benefits. So Steve, tell us about some of those basic trade-offs. Yeah, there are trade-offs of claiming earlier versus later, right? So if you claim earlier and the earliest right now for most people, you can claim at age 62 and compare that to your full retirement age. Again, full retirement age is uh, for most people now 66 or 67, uh, depending on your year of birth. So at age 62, compared to claiming at full retirement age on an annual basis, uh, your benefit is reduced anywhere from 5 to 6.7% per year. Of course, it's really adjusted monthly, but that gives you a big picture on the annual adjustment. So it's reduced five to six point seven percent per year if you claim early before full retirement age. But if you wait, your benefit is increased. It's increased by eight percent per year from full retirement age until age seventy. So you can see there's quite big extremes if you claim at sixty-two versus seventy. But the trade-off of claiming at sixty-two again, you get a lower amount, but you get more paychecks, right? Many more paychecks, 62 versus 70, you know, eight years worth more of, of paychecks, if you will. At age 70, you get fewer paychecks, but you get much larger benefit payouts. And, and let's take an example, uh, kind of an extreme example. Someone takes it at age 62 versus if their full retirement age was age 67, the, the total benefit is reduced by 30%. Now, if that same person waited until age 70, the benefit compared to the full retirement age is increased by 24% just by waiting compared to full retirement age. So that's a pretty big increase when you look at 62 versus 70, benefit difference is pretty large. Let's see, you can, depending on how you do the math, you can say that uh, age 70 amount is 77% more than age 62 amount. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that is. Um, So 
so the uh, and you might say, okay, no brainer. If it's that large, yeah, okay, I'm getting more benefits. But it seems like a no brainer to take it age seventy if it's that big of a difference. But not necessarily because there's other factors that go into it. Again, you are giving up eight years of of payments and you're giving up earnings on those eight years that you alluded to that earlier. So there's some trade-offs there, but you've got to do the numbers and look at and consider some of these key factors in deciding what the optimal claiming age is for your situation. And we took Mel, you talked about the factors a little bit earlier. Obviously the claiming age is a big one. That's what we're trying to solve for. The other two big factors are longevity and rate of return. Uh, so longevity, plays a huge role, right? It's one of those none unknowns, if you uh, will. It's, it's certainly the wild card, I think, in this, this analysis. We obviously don't know when we're going to pass away, uh, but you, you may have an educated estimate, right? There's tables out there. There's You, you might know your family history. There's some, um, like I said, some tables and calculators. One will have reference to this in the show notes, but Social Security has a life expectancy calculator, you know, based on Say at age 65, what's the probability of surviving till 90 or what's that, you know, average life expectancy? And there's a more detailed calculator out there. One of them, uh, Mel, you and I have visited uh, Living to 100 calculator. It, I think there's a short version and long version. At least there was at one point. You can answer, you know, some very detailed questions. I don't know about, I think, how much, you know, red meat you eat, how much you drink, those kind of lifestyle questions and, and past history as well. And it will produce a number as far as what your life expectancy could be. So use that with a grain of salt. But based on the reviews that I've seen, it it does get pretty positive reviews from many of those in the medical community. But again, it's just a guess, right? Uh, and certainly longevity makes a big impact because it, uh, of course, impacts the number of payments that you get. And in general, the longer you live, the more the analysis would suggest taking later all else equal. And I do want to point out some faulty logic that I hear. I hear some people say, hey, I'm going to take Social Security later because I might live until 100. You know, if that happens, you know, because I've heard people that live until 100, they say. So the best claiming strategy in that case is to wait. Well, yeah, you, you might live to 100. But again, it comes down to probabilities based on your individual situation. You may, you know, I know people that passed away and well before uh, 70, right? So you don't use that same logic and say, well, and some people do uh, and say, I want to take it to age 62. So really understanding the statistics to make the best mathematical decision uh, for the claiming age is, is important, I think. But, but another factor, Mel, in addition to longevity is this rate of return concept. Another, uh, Known unknown, if you will. Another known unknown. You know, as you collect Social Security benefits, the the question around this rate of return is, what kind of return will these accumulated savings produce? So this whole discussion says, well, you've got income, Social Security benefits. And if you were to save those, what rate of return would you earn on those? And I think I'm I'm going to issue a, a caution here. There are many analysis tools out there that assume too low of a rate of return. Some basic calculators or basic approaches assume a 0% return on your savings. And I think that assuming no growth on your benefits is clearly wrong and is often going to lead to the wrong claiming decision. And many tools and analysis that I've seen assume a rate of return that corresponds to 
an intermediate-term government bond or a long-term government bond. Sometimes that's 2% or 3%, since they say that the receipt of the Social Security income streams is equivalent to what you would get from a government bond or a government bond, a portfolio of government bonds. So they're trying to match this risk-adjusted return of government bond portfolio to the Social Security benefits, uh, according to their calculations. However, I don't agree with that approach. Either the 0% return or the government bond equivalent return in all circumstances. My view is that the correct rate of return to use is really based on one's specific situation and one's specific retirement portfolio. How would the Social Security claimant effectively allocate the investments? If it's a mix of stocks and bonds in a way that perhaps mirrors their overall portfolio in retirement, maybe a return of 4% or 6% might be realistic. If it was an all-stock portfolio, the return assumption might be even higher. All else equal, the higher the rate of return you assume, the younger the optimal claiming age. So if you assume a lower return, then that tends to suggest taking Social Security at a later age. And depending on your type of analysis, the rate of return you assume should take into account the fact that the Social Security payments annually increase with inflation. So you can't assume a rate of return on your investments and assume no growth on the Social Security payments. Uh, thanks for that, Mel. Yeah, certainly the uh, rate of return is a wild card as well, but it should be uh, looked at uh, as an individual basis, just like longevity. And Mel, before we do get into those analysis, again, either break-even or cumulative benefits approach, I do want to touch on this concept of the Social Security uh, payments being actuarially equivalent. It, that basically means that you know the Social Security Administration really doesn't care when you or I take Social Security benefits. They calculated the payouts really to be actuarially equivalent, uh, meaning that you know the population as a whole, some are going to take it earlier, some are going to take it later. It really doesn't matter. Their overall payouts are going to be the same regardless based on you know the actuarial studies, based on uh, how long people live in general and based on based on the rate of return that they assume. So so in that case, you might say, ah, does it really matter that much when I take Social Security? And, and to some respect, there is some truth to that, that, okay, it's maybe it's not as big of a difference as one might think. It's more the optimal claiming age makes a bigger difference at those extremes, right? Whether it's you take it at 62 or 70, you know, depending on if you live well past the the average uh, age or if you die well before retirement age that's where those extremes can really impact it but at the margins maybe this decision isn't as impactful as what some some authors might suggest out there but that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at this optimal claiming age closely because it does matter uh and there's reasons two reasons i guess why I think we should discount this concept of actuarially equivalence and maybe the optimal claiming age decision doesn't matter so much. One, Mel, you referred to old statistics earlier when Social Security was put into place. The last time these uh, adjustments were made to kind of the, the longevity assumptions were used was in 1983. I'm sure they tried to calculate what advances in, in medical and health technology was back then, but they didn't get that right. 
And many authors now say that those actuarial assumptions, at least on the longevity, are now faulty. So some of those payout adjustments, either before for retirement age or after, are a little bit off. They suggest, at least this one article, and I'll uh, reference this in the show notes, suggested that especially the the new reality of the actuarial tables suggest that it's better to take later uh, than earlier just because our longevity has increased more than what the old tables suggest. And especially for those with higher incomes, their life expectancy has increased even more so compared to what it was in 1983. So understanding how the old actuarial assumptions are not as accurate now can play a role in that optimal claiming decision for you. And the second reason why maybe we discount these actuarial assumptions is that your situation may differ, right? You're, you're not a you're not a statistic. You are a statistic, but you don't fit into the average statistics necessarily, or you're not the average. Um, so look at your own individual situation on the longevity that I referred to earlier and take that into account. Don't merely rely on the tables because the tables, again, are, are just averages for the population of the whole. It doesn't take into account, you know, if you are, again, a high earner you're probably going to live a little bit longer on average. Look at your individual situation and know that that indeed does make a difference in deciding your optimal claiming age. So with that, I want to turn to, we've talked about it, uh, drum roll. We want to talk about the break-even analysis and the cumulative benefits approach in determining this optimal claiming age. Okay, now that we've looked into some of the building blocks of Social Security, the basic trade-offs of taking earlier versus later, and some key factors in a little more depth, let's now dive into the different ways to analyze the optimal claiming decision for your particular situation. While you might run across different names for these approaches or even different meanings of these names, we're going to review the following types of analysis. We're going to talk about A, break-even analysis, B, cumulative benefits to a certain age, and C, rate of return comparison. We're going to review the break-even analysis now, and then we'll move on to the cumulative benefits approach. So let's talk about the break-even analysis for determining your ideal claiming age. The break-even analysis estimates how long it will take for the total benefits received by claiming late to equal or break even the total benefits that you'll receive by claiming early. So again, how long will it take for the total benefits of claiming late to equal the total benefits of claiming early? And that would be the break even. So for now, we're going to assume a simple scenario and assume that this individual is single. The analysis, especially the break-even analysis, gets more complex for married couples. The break-even rule for a single individual suggests that if you think you're gonna live longer than the break-even age, then you wait to file. And vice versa, you think you're gonna die before the break-even age, then you take the early date. You know, I think this gets a little clearer if we give an extreme example. Let's say that uh, you could take Social Security at age 62 rather than age 70. That's your two choices. And 
because of your family history and your particular medical conditions, you're saying my life, life expectancy is only to age 75. Obviously, it would be better for you to start taking benefits at age 62. So, because you would get them from age 62 to age 75. If you delay taking benefits until age 70, you would only get benefits for five years. So, basically, the younger your life expectancy, the more you would suggest that you would start taking benefits earlier. And you can see that with the other extreme example of living to age 100. By waiting to start your benefits at age 70, you get that significant increase in the size of your benefits, as Steve was talking about earlier, and you're going to get those higher benefits for 30 years by starting at age 70. So the benefit of taking starting earlier than age 70 and getting less per, per month that benefit goes away because you're going to live all the way to age 100 and you want those monthly payouts to be as high as possible for those 30 years. So you can see in reviewing these two extremes about life expectancy that the break even age is somewhere in between those two extremes, right? You're probably not have a life expectancy of 75 and you may or may not get to 100. So what does the break-even analysis mean for a single individual? If we assume an average rate of return for a moderate portfolio for a retiree, and we compare taking earlier, say, between 62 and full retirement age versus taking later, let's say, age 70, the calculation suggests that the break-even age is somewhere between 86 and 90. So this is going to suggest if the return assumptions are accurate for your situation, that one should delay taking Social Security to age 70 if you're expecting living beyond that 86 to 90 range. That does not mean that this is necessarily the break-even age for you, however. you got to do your own specific situation. And we're just looking at it from the single individual's perspective not the married couple situation. You could come up with a different break-even age when comparing full retirement age to age 70. And I showed a range of ages because the assumed rate of return greatly impacts the break-even age. If we assume a lower rate of return, which is sometimes the case, then the break-even age gets lower. And you can use this little uh, similar approach to finding the break-even rate of return. You can hold the longevity fixed and then calculate the rate of return you would need to make the claiming at one age better than claiming at the other. We're not going to get into that calculation here, but if you like to crunch your numbers, this is another approach to calculating this. Yes, that one is for the uh, engineers out there and maybe the accountants as well. Lots of different ways to analyze it. And one final way, Mel, I think our, our favorite uh, approach, and I think it's the most logical, is a cumulative benefits approach. So here we kind of hold longevity constant, and we say what are the total cumulative benefits, including the earnings that you referred to, including the earnings on these benefits through that particular death age, looking at different claiming ages. So we can look at, you know, 62, 63, 70, 
what are the total cumulative benefits, including earnings, up into that particular longevity assumption. So again, the rate of return obviously has a huge impact here, just like it did with a break-even analysis and longevity we're holding constant. Again, you can play around with that longevity variable too and say, okay, what's the cumulative benefit at age 87? But I think this approach really causes you to focus in on the longevity, stick with that, and then look at the other variables uh, to determine the optimal claiming age. But let's look at an example here real quick. So let's, let's assume you're going to live until age 90. So again, assuming a moderate rate of return. Look at some hypothetical results. Again, just to talk through it, this isn't a, a detailed calculation based on any actual benefits. But let's say you, you, know, you take it at age 62, you get a certain payout. And along with those earnings, your benefit ended up being $860,000. Uh, cumulative benefits with earnings at age at age 90, you ended up with 860. What well, age 67, get a little bit higher benefits, get a little bit more earnings, you end up with 900,000, again, at age 90. At age 70, in this example, you ended up with 940, $940,000. So if those results were actually accurate, then that would suggest that if you were were if you really did think you're going to live until age 90 that age 70 would be the optimal claiming age because it only gets better from there right age 91 age 70 is even better but if you said okay i'm gonna probably not pass away at age 90 it's probably going to be more like 86 well that's going to change those numbers quite a bit age 70 is not going to be as favorable um, but in this case you know it ended up being age 70 was about nine percent better than age 62, three or four percent better than age 67. So not a huge difference, but nine percent is not not insignificant by any means. But as I said, this approach, Mel, I don't know if, if you agree. I like this approach a little bit better. It's you don't have as many break-even analyses to do, you know, with a spreadsheet, you can do this fairly quickly or really using uh, you know, some some software out there. It's a little bit easier to understand, I think. Yeah, I think it's easier because uh, if you set up the spreadsheet right, uh, and, and of course you and I love spreadsheets, but if you set it up right, you can very quickly see, oh, at this age, these are the numbers, and at this age, these are the numbers. So it lets you kind of examine different ages all on the screen at the same time. That's right. But but regardless of what analysis uh, you use, you should come up with really the same conclusion, right? They're all the same variables and the math is the same. You just kind of move the the variables around a little bit to come up with a slightly, you know, the same results, but a different uh, different conclusion, if you will. So now we've reviewed the basic analysis for the optimal claiming age in general, and then more particularly for a single individual. But this decision of when to claim Social Security benefits gets a little more complicated for a married couple. Life is a little more complicated when you're married, right? Indeed. And, and since my wife is listening, I will say that uh, life is also better. While you can do a break-even calculation for each spouse, as we discussed earlier, the calculation is more complicated because of the manner in which the spousal benefits and or maybe the survivor benefit are calculated. So let's review some rules. First, spousal benefit rules. As you may recall, the spousal benefit rules say that a spouse, let's say the lower earning spouse, can receive the higher of his or her own benefit or 50% of the other spouse's benefit. That other spouse in this case, we would call the higher earning spouse. 
The benefit is adjusted based on when the lower earning spouse takes the benefit and when the higher earning spouse takes the benefit. Also, the lower earning spouse can only begin to receive his or her spousal benefit when the higher earning spouse is taking his or her own benefit. And second, let's talk about survivor benefits. For the survivor benefits, the surviving spouse can receive the higher of his or her own benefit or the, de the deceased spouse's benefit. The surviving spouse does not get to receive both benefits, only the higher of the two. So as you may have surmised, this certainly impacts the calculation because the view of longevity is a bit different. For a single individual, we were just worried about that individual's longevity. And for a married couple, we now need to take to in, into account the longevity of the surviving spouse also in uh, performing this calculation. A little side note here, and this uh, might apply in a few cases. If both spouses are expected to receive essentially the same Social Security benefit, and that would mean they've been earning similar amounts through the years. And if their ages are about the same, then the calculations for them are similar as it would be for a single individual. So th that would make things a lot easier, but there's very few couples who are almost the same age and have had almost the same earning strength. Okay, now, there's two time periods that we're concerned about with a married couple. For a single individual, we were just looking at the one life expectancy. But with a married couple, we need to take into account the duration of their joint lives when both spouses are living and the duration of the survivorship period. Oftentimes, the key age here is the survivor's life expectancy since that duration will generally drive when to claim the benefit from the higher income earner spouse, high, higher income earning spouse. For example, if the higher earning spouse was age 70 and the lower earning spouse was age 65 and they both had a life expectancy of age 90, then the applicable duration for determining the relative benefits of the higher earning spouse starting at age 70 would be 25 years. The years remaining for the younger spouse, who's 65 when the other spouse is 70, and that 65-year-old spouse is going to live to age 90, so that's 25 years. And this is, uh, it gets a little more complex because the actuarial analysis of married couples, the statistics statistics show that one spouse in a marriage has a longer life expectancy than a single individual. On average, there's a greater probability of at least one spouse surviving until age 90 compared to a single individual. And that's the reason why the optimal claiming strategy tends to tilt towards claiming Social Security later for a higher earning spouse compared to a single individual, all else equal. For example, Actuarials, actuaries say there is a 63% chance that one of the spouses at age 65 is going to survive to age 90. 
But if we were just looking at a single male or female, there's only a 33 to 44% chance of them surviving to age 90. So it's not just, oh, what are the chances of an individual living to age 90? Those actuarial percentages of living to 90 increase when we're talking about two people, a married couple. And as we mentioned earlier, those with higher incomes tend to have longer, uh, or we should say better longevity statistics. Whew. Okay, well, there's our intro, Steve. Let's dive deeper into this analysis for married couples. Gosh, yeah, we are throwing a lot of details, a lot of complexity stats out there, but it's all very relevant. So yeah, let's let's get to the crux of the question here. So yeah, it, it does require looking at really to, or making two decisions when the higher earning spouse begins taking the benefits and when the lower earning spouse begins taking the benefits and they should be looked at in tandem but but in many cases yeah a lot of couples may be better off if the higher earning spouse does indeed delay taking until a later age maybe age 70 you talked about the statistics of a survivor of a married couple living until age 90 is uh, uh, quite a bit greater than a single individual and again, it's the duration of uh, receiving this higher earning spouse's benefit is the key. It's not necessarily the lifetime of the higher earning spouse, right? You just review that uh, with a couple of examples. It's the lifetime of the longer of the two lifetimes, if you will. And the wider difference in ages, we see this occasionally, you know, a wide discrepancy in ages. Well, that would suggest an even greater benefit of delaying the higher earning spouse's uh, claiming age, uh, because again, a much longer duration of receiving that higher earning spouse's benefit. Uh, yeah, well, I might add that situation is often, it's the older of the two spouses that has usually been the, the higher earning spouse there. That's right, so. that's right, exactly. If the higher earning spouse though is younger, occasionally we do see that, it may still be beneficial delay until age 70, but the difference in overall benefits is not as great. Again, it just depends. Uh, and again, it still comes down to considering the, the joint life expectancy of the couples. So let's look at the claiming age. Again, that second decision is the claiming age of the lower earning spouse, uh, right? It's not just one decision now with a single individual. It's also what is the optimal claiming age of the, the other spouse. So again, to repeat the rule for for spouses that aren't eligible for a spousal, for their own benefit, I should say, they could be eligible for a spousal benefit. And they cannot claim, though, any benefit until the higher earning spouse claims his or her own benefit. So that does apply in some cases that the both spouse, or that, that one spouse may not be eligible on their own benefit. So they've got to wait until the other spouse claims. So you can see, just based on that rule alone, these decisions are not made in isolation. They should be made in tandem because, uh, and let's look at an example of that. And again, that doesn't always apply, right? Some, you know, in many cases, the spouse does have benefits on his or her own, and you still want to look at an antenna, but not as critical. But an example here, let's say that the higher earning spouse wants to take it age 70. They did the math on that, and it made sense there. But let's say the lower earning spouse, let's say they're the same age, and they cannot obtain any Social Security benefits on their own uh, earning record. And that would mean, okay, if the higher earning spouse waits until age 70, the lower earning spouse has to wait until age 70 as well. 
in a rule that we either we stated or maybe didn't state that uh, that lower earning spouse doesn't get any enhanced benefit credits by waiting from full retirement age until age 70. So here I ran through the example, the couple is waiting to get a benefit at age 70, but they're not getting a corresponding increase in amount. So that's usually the, the wrong decision. That optimal claiming age may not be 70 for both of them, even though it might've appeared so for that higher earning spouse. So again, these decisions need to be looked at uh, jointly. You know, and if the low earning spouse is eligible on his or own earnings records, as I said, the optimal claiming age for both uh, would be impacted. It's a slightly different analysis. You know, all else equal, I would say that the closer the spouses are in terms of benefit amounts, the, the less relevant the need to make a joint decision, uh, but it still comes into play. Uh, in that case, though, the decision on when to claim uh, becomes more focused on two things. You know, as it relates to the higher earning spouse, it's the lifetime of the surviving spouse. And as it relates to the lower earning spouse, it's the lifetime of the first spouse to die. So you look at the, the life, life expectancies of the other spouse in that kind of situation. But, um, but just to wrap up the, these complex rules and decision mail, uh, again, it's much more complicated for a married couple than a single individual. But as you said, it's got its benefits, uh, certainly. And there are almost endless possibilities on these longevity combinations, right? What if one spouse passes at age 90 and the other one at 95, or one passes at 88 and one passes at 83. So that adds to the complexity. There's also many more claiming age options for a couple, right, than a single individual. So that adds all to the complexity. And that leads to our basic conclusion is that you need to run the numbers. These rules of thumb of, you know, difference in ages and difference in amounts, you should come to this, just run the numbers and take into account all these other factors that we spoke of. But at the end of the day, you've got to look at the benefit amounts, the life expectancy and the claiming ages and make the decision that's uh, right for you as a married couple. Okay. With all those details, you might be thinking, I'd like to get a little help in this. So where can you get some help? There are a few ways to analyze your personal optimal claiming age strategy. You could do nothing and let the chips fall as they may. You could create an Excel spreadsheet on your own. You might find some commercial software or an online analysis tool. Or lastly, you could work with an advisor that has access to these tools and some training and wisdom about other parts of your retirement plan that might affect all of this. So those are your choices. Uh, as far as software options go, we're going to list some of those in our show notes. And, you know, it runs the range from free tools to pay tools. And so you just need to decide for yourself what's best. And then if you're using an advisor to help you out, they would be able to pull coordinate all your moving pieces to help you find the right strategy for you. If they've got some knowledge of taxes, uh, taxes, then they're bringing that expertise into that analysis as well. And obviously, taxes are important. So that could be an important part of your plan. But of course, the advisor route is going to be a bit more expensive. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd echo that, Mel, that uh, regardless of how they go about looking at the Social Security decision, don't make that decision in a vacuum. Look at all these other planning-related issues that uh, are impacted or could impact that, uh, that choice. 
before I get into our, our last comment, Mel, that you're going to go over, I wanted to touch on just a few other unique issues that could impact your claiming decision. We don't have time to uh, look at them exhaustively, uh, but if you have younger children at home, you could get potentially some benefits for them if they're under age 18. So that will impact your decision. If you're a widower, there are special rules for widows that could impact your decision. We'll have a totally different episode on that. Some of you have heard about these creative claiming strategies, file and suspend, et cetera. Most of those have gone away. There's still one claiming strategy that's out there that is uh, less relevant for most folks. Uh, most, most of those folks have already claimed their social security. It's really for widows. There's a unique, again, claiming strategy for them. But again, other issues other than what we just covered more exhaustively earlier, Again, run the numbers, look at your particular situation. But, but man, I wanted to toss it back over to you. There's a neat strategy out there that we use to, that Social Security impacts the asset allocation a little bit, and it can result in better overall retirement situations for some individuals out there. Yeah, let's, let's touch on this. And I might say up front that our, our approach to building uh, an asset allocation for a client, we call it the matched bucket approach. I think maybe a more official name is it's liability driven. But what basically we're trying to calculate how much the client needs to pull out of their portfolio every year during retirement. And we call that the portfolio paycheck, right? Your paycheck's gone away. Your portfolio needs to uh, provide a paycheck for you. How much do you need to pull out of the portfolio every year? Well, social security benefits is a one way that you're going to fund your need for, for cash flow during retirement. So that certainly is an important part of calculating what you need to pull out of your portfolio every year. So using this matched approach, this match bucket approach, we really want to match seven to 10 years of cash flow needs in a portfolio of safe investment grade bonds. And if you're trying to optimize your Social Security benefits to age 70 and you're retiring before age 70, then your portfolio paycheck will be bigger during the years between stopping work and starting Social Security. And if we're trying to cover seven to 10 years of cash flow needs in safe investment grade bonds, then delaying Social Security means you have bigger cash flow needs for those years. And seven years of those cash flow needs can end up being a huge allocation to bonds. If you've got a big allocation to bonds, you've got a small allocation to stocks and your portfolio won't grow nearly as much as it would if you had more in stocks. So here's the strategy. We try to delay Social Security to age 70. But instead of putting this large allocation to bonds to match those cash flow needs uh, during the non-Social Security years, we reduce that amount in bonds. Maybe we're only going to match four years of cash flow needs to bonds instead of seven to 10, or maybe five years instead of seven to 10. That leaves the client with more money in stocks for growth. If the stocks come through and grow for you during those say four to five years, then we can sell some of that growth in the stocks to fund your cash flow needs and continue on the path to taking Social Security at age 70. 
But if we get into those four to five years and the stock market goes down and things really go south in a hurry there, then we can always turn Social Security on earlier. So this strategy allows you to keep a little bit less in bonds than we might normally. That means more in stocks and a more opportunity for growth. And hopefully stocks are going to grow and you'll be able to delay to age 70. And one thing I didn't mention in all this is where do these stocks and bonds sit? Which account are you going to pull those dollars out of from now till when you take Social Security? That decision is connected to taxes, and we would need to work on that part of this asset allocation decision. And we would want to get started on moving your portfolio around more than just a few months before retirement. We want to get started on that a few years before retirement. But this strategy can really help you optimize your Social Security benefit uh, without taking growth out of your portfolio. But we're going to cover this whole matching approach in probably many other podcast episodes in the future. And we'll get back and talk again about this strategy, I'm sure, in the future. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, it just gets more and more complicated, no doubt. And and you're right. You need to look at this optimal claiming decision well in advance because it impacts your your investment and impacts your taxes, like we said. So look at all these issues well in advance. Um, you know, in conclusion, I would say the main thing is run the numbers for your particular situation. There's not one right optimal claiming age for everybody. There's a lot of factors that are involved, and there's these strategies that Mel referred to that need to be taken into uh, consideration. But action steps for our listeners, again, as we said in the prior episode, I would encourage you, if you don't know yet, find out what your Social Security benefit is. Go online, get a benefit statement, play uh, play around with their online calculators, because a benefit statement may not be exactly correct for your situation. Understand how Social Security fits into your overall situation, so don't look at it. In a vacuum, understand the the, the investments, the the tax planning, et cetera, that that's impacted by your optimal claiming age. So, with that, again, thanks for joining us for today and and at the Retirement Oasis and looking at Social Security. You can find more information about some of the things we talked about. This is a jam packed session. We've got a lot of different um, scholarly articles and online tools that we refer to. So, go online to find out more information there. Read our blog. Uh, if you want to reach out to somebody about your financial planning situation, taxes, investments, feel free to reach out to us at oasiswealthplanning.com. You can schedule a call there. You can talk to Mel, myself, or others. Be glad to uh, start that conversation. If you liked what you heard, you know, pass the news along. Uh, share the share the joy and the wisdom, if you will. Like and review our podcast. Tell a friend about it. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, but until next time, wish you clarity, confidence, and cheer on the way to your retirement oasis. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Retirement Oasis podcast. You can find more episodes and resources at theretirementoasis.com. Steve Martin and Mel Bond are certified financial planning practitioners at Oasis Wealth Planning Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm headquartered in Nashville with meeting locations throughout the Southeast, including Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. 
The opinions given are for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, financial planning, or tax advice. Consult your own professionals for recommendations specific to your situation. Investments involve risk. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. On behalf of the crew at the Retirement Oasis, we thank you for listening. 